Say it again.
For your mercy never fails me
right, well, good morning. Welcome to Outer West Community Church. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you here, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online. Thank you for being here. If you're new here, we're especially glad that you've joined us and we want to welcome you. I want to read to you Psalm 145, 1 through 7. Would you please stand with me as I read this? It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commands your, commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This morning, can we joyfully sing of God's righteousness? Let's sing to him.
to see you. Thanks for being here. If you're new here, we're especially glad that you're here. If you're watching us online, thanks for do- tuning in. Uh, welcome to Outer West Community Church. We exist to draw people closer to Jesus and to each other. Uh, before we continue in worship, I thought it would be appropriate for us this morning to take a moment and just to pray and to pray for our world and for our nation and um, the world almost on a daily weekly basis, there's stirring that's happening all across the world. You know, I think of the war in Ukraine. I think of the natural disasters that we saw in Libya where thousands were affected by. I think of the Christians that are in India right now being persecuted at a historic rate under the current administration. I think of communities in Guatemala where we sponsor children that don't know what their next meal looks like. And I think of refugees, not just in Central America, but all across the world that are fleeing their Countries looking for safety and to protect their families from war-torn nations. And I think of the war that started last week in the Middle East as well. And oftentimes, for us, it's easy to be isolated from what's happening around the world because for us here, everything's going all right. And, but I think it's important for us as the people of God to remember other people of God, image bearers of God across the world, and to see the world through the perspective of God, but to align ourselves with them through prayer. And the attention of the world recently is on the war that's happening in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And the Holy Land is so central to the story of God and so central to Scripture. And I want us to pray for that this morning. But before we pray, I want to read a Scripture out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. And here's what it says. This is a vision that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. From the Lord's teaching, for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, and his word will go out from Jerusalem. And I love this part here. As Isaiah sees what's coming ahead, The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. So this morning as we pray, our prayer is focused on now that God would bring peace and comfort. But our prayer is also rooted in what is to come, a kingdom that is to come that will be ruled by the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, King of Kings, where nations will no longer fight, but all of us, image bearers of God, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be reunited with the one that they've put their trust in. So can we take a moment this morning to pray over the nations and to pray over the tensions that we're seeing in the world. God, we thank you that you're a God not just of one nation, not just of two nations, but a God of the nations. A God that died for the nations every tribe, every people, every tongue. So we pray for the persecuted church across the world. We pray for those who are just trying to find safety and refuge. We pray for those that are facing natural disasters. We pray right now for the tensions that we're seeing in the Holy Land. We pray for the thousands and thousands who have lost kids and family members on both sides. We pray for Christians that are residing right now in Palestine the minorities, the ones that you say, the meek that will inherit the earth. We pray that you would give them a special grace and resiliency during this time. We pray for the minority Christians in Israel as well, that you would give them peace and comfort. 
We pray for all those in that region and beyond that don't know you as the Messiah, that don't know you as the King of kings, that don't know you as the Lord of lords. Would they come to know you? We pray most of all, God, for peace and comfort in the middle of tension. We pray for unity between leaders and nations. We pray, Lord, that you will be our firm foundation that we trust in, the one that we hold on to both now and in the age that is to come. And we pray this in your precious name. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen, amen. We're gonna continue singing this morning and declare that Jesus is our firm foundation, the one that we put our trust in. Let's sing together.
thankful for God's faithfulness. Let's continue to worship our faithful and loving God this morning.
God is so good, isn't he? We're thankful for God's faithfulness in our lives. We're thankful for the love of God. The Bible says that God's love is never ending, that his mercies are renewed every morning and great is his faithfulness. We're thankful for his faithfulness. We're thankful for his love. And church, I'm gonna ask you right now, with that same love that God gives out to us, I'm gonna ask that you share that with your neighbors. If you would turn to the people around, uh, shake hands and just share the love of God. We love to get to know you, and so if you're interested in meeting any of our staff or our elders, go on outerwest.org and you can connect with us. Our info is on there. If you want to take next steps, text this number on our screen, and we'd love to connect with you. Most of all, as you're watching online this morning, we hope that this message helps you draw closer to Jesus. Say hi, say hi. Well, good seeing you all this morning. This is Ezra, my son. Can we give it up for Ezra? Can you say hi? He is uh, responsible for 50% of all my sermon illustrations, so you can thank him for that. Um, we got mom here. This is Crystal, my wife. If you guys haven't met her. They are responsible for 75% of my sermon illustration. Um, well, if you guys, uh, many of you guys have heard Ezra's story as Down syndrome, and we're uh, so proud of him and grateful to be his parents and raise him, especially uh, in the ways of God. And um, if you got an email this week, you know that we're about to make a special announcement today, and that's why we have the donuts out there. And uh, being a um, parent of a child with special needs brings us unique challenges. Uh, now, I'll say this, being a parent in general has challenges, but being a parent of a special needs child has its unique challenges, and uh, less with Ezra and more with the way that the world views him and uh, his peers, or we see it in schools or friendships or even at church at times, and um, that's the difficult part sometimes, and I had a mom in our church that she once told me that she feels invisible at church because um, she's here with her child, but um, people don't know how to engage or talk or say hi or encourage, and she feels invisible, and so you see it in church, but it's even worse in culture and schools and workplaces, especially as he gets older and grows up. And um, so one of, our, one of our, uh, our values here at Outer West is diversity, which means we embrace diversity found within the body of Christ, which means that for us as a church, we embrace those regardless of their ability or disability to be um, children of God made in the image uh, of the creator of the universe. And uh, we not only want to give them a seat at the table, but we want to be uh, people that can learn from them as well. And Ezra has taught me so much, uh, more than any pro uh, seminary professor or mentor can teach me I've learned from his life and that's the type of church we want to be where we embrace diversity but learn from one another as well and it's especially um, I'm excited especially to make this announcement because of that for the last three years we've been trying to host this event as a church that celebrates people with special needs and we were selected uh, to host in San Antonio for 2024 early 2024 the night to shine uh, sponsored by the Tim Tebow foundation and so we're excited for that 
Uh, it's an amazing event. Uh, again, something that we've been praying about, and I've submitted applications year after year, and they chose us this year. I think the timing was just perfect. Uh, if you don't know what Night to Shine is, it's a prime night that's put on for those with special needs ages 14 years and older. Now, Ezra's a long ways from that, but Ezra represents the hundreds and hundreds in our community here in San Antonio with special needs that are going to walk through our doors, and we're going to do it up. They're going to have limos, a red carpet, a dance floor, makeup, shoes shining. The parents are going to be taking care of photography. It's going to be an amazing night. And uh, I could tell you all about it, but I want you to watch this video that shows you a highlight of how the event went from last year. So let's watch this video and I'll come back and tell you more about it. We believe the God of this universe sees you as a king or a queen every single day of your life. That is how valuable you are. That is how special you are. That is how loved you are. And we get to celebrate you tonight in every day of your life because we believe in God's eyes, you are a king and a queen. Every heartland, farm town, fence post, sun. Every West Coast big break queen. All your high rise, skyline, concrete kids. Every zip code in between. Grab your first time front porch, pounding heart, and gas up your Chevrolet. Cause the sun's half gone and it won't be long till we make our getaway. This is our Awesome is that. We're excited to host that event in a few months. And here's the other special part about this. This is something that I've been trying to do over the last year and a half is to partner with another neighboring church in our area. And so we're going to host the event in our property, but it's going to be in partnership with Alamo Community Church, a church that's just down the street. And Kevin Flowers is the lead pastor, a friend of mine, a great church, great community. We're going to do this together as a greater body of Christ to serve the special needs community right here in San Antonio. And so here's the ask. Number one, I'm asking every single person that goes to Outer West, even if you don't go to Outer West, you're just checking us out, to pray for this event, to pray that God would use this event to show those who are oftentimes considered the least, the last, the lost, and the faceless in our culture, to show them that they belong, they're loved by God, but also loved by their church community. 
Number two, the ask is that I, I, I'm encouraging and asking every single person that goes to Outer West to volunteer and to serve at this event. We're looking to get 500 volunteers. And that's because there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of folks that are going to walk through these doors. And I'm not asking you to serve for months or weeks or days. I'm asking you to serve and invest your time one night, February 9th, to serve those with special needs. And maybe you might be here and you say, I already got a cruise booked February 9th. If that's you, there are opportunities for you to serve leading up to Night to Shine. And if you're physically unable to serve, there are ways for you to serve outside of that by donating. If you're a business leader, you can sponsor the event. So many ways for you to serve. In fact, when you leave here this morning, you're going to get an info card in your hands that will tell you all the ways that you can serve. I want you to pray about it, and I want you to sign up today if you're able to. This is not just a passion of mine. This is a passion of God's heart to reach his people and a value that ties to Outer West Community Church and the heart that we have as a church to serve those who are often faceless in this community. So I want to invite you to participate. You can go on nighttoshinesatx.com and even sign up today. But what an opportunity for us to serve this community in San Antonio, a large community in San Antonio. And can we just thank God for opening up this door for us to be able to do this as a church. We love you all. We're thankful thankful that you're here. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be here this morning. Uh, We're going to continue in our sermon series this morning. Before we do that, turn your attention to the screen. in part six of our series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And before I dive in, I want to kind of pause and recap a little bit of what the series has been about. Um, This is a series based on a discipleship course by Pete Scazzaro. He's a pastor based out of New York City, and I've adapted some of his work into the sermons that I've been preaching. And we kicked off the series, if you remember, um, talking about what it means to be emotion, what it means to have emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And what that means is that uh, we can do all the church things and memorize scripture and raise our hands doing worship and have church, perfect church attendance, but oftentimes when we leave from there and we're stuck in traffic on Calabria Road, some emotional unhealth starts to surface. And so there's oftentimes this disconnect between the spiritual and the emotional, and we looked at the life of King Saul, who was emotionally unhealthy, if you remember. And then we looked at King David, who was a little bit more healthier than he was at the beginning of his life. And then we looked at Joseph and how he treated his family, who tried to harm him, and he knew that God meant it for good. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the life of Job. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been, it's been kind of a heavier two weeks, right? Uh, It's what John of the Cross calls journeying through the dark night of the soul. And we kind of went beneath the surface to address past wounds as we looked at the story of Job and what he went through. And last week, we heard the story of the Barreras and how God has been leading them and journeying them through the wall that they hit. And um, just kind of going beneath the surface. And I want to thank many of you who came forward for prayer after service. I know at times it's awkward or hard to do that at church, but uh, out of a place of willingness and a need for God and maybe even a desperation you came forward and I hope that God met you in those moments and we want that to be our church culture. In fact, our prayer partners pray for 
you guys before you even step foot in this door. And so that's you here this morning. At the end of my message, you'll have another opportunity to receive prayer ministry. And we've spent the last few weeks, it was a little heavier, but now we're going to shift as we head into part six. From going beneath the surface to addressing past wounds to going beneath the surface to see how we can find healing and joy and peace and fulfillment that comes only from Jesus. So the title of my message today is going from rushing to resting. Everybody say resting. My daughter Madeline, she turned three a few weeks ago. And one of the things that she told me is, Dada, I want to be a grown-up like you. And I said, hold on. Being an adult has some perks. But it's a lot being an adult. Right? How many of you guys can agree with me? Being an adult is a lot. I mean, there's... Lots of priorities that we have. You got house priorities, you have health priorities, you have financial priorities, you have relationship priorities, all sorts of stuff. And so I told her, hold on, enjoy your time, take your time. One of the things that I'm jealous of, most jealous of, of my kids is the amount of rest that they get. So our kids, they go to sleep at 7 p.m. and they wake up around 6 a.m. So it's a little bit of an off, off schedule, but 7 p.m. means that my wife and I, we get our alone time after they go, go to bed, but that means we have to get up a little earlier. But 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. is 11 hours of sleep. And not only do they get the 11 hours of sleep, they also get to take naps. I mean, what a life. What a dream, right? This is like everyone's ideal life. I would love to have that type of life. One of the things I realize about my kids, though, is as they get older, they are getting more and more resistant to the rest that they're supposed to get. They don't want to sleep. They don't want to take naps. And it's not that they're not tired because as soon as we put them down and their head gets the pillow, they're out for the night, but they don't want to sleep. They say, we don't want to go to sleep. We're still playing. There's a whole world for them to explore and snacks to eat and toys to play with and household items to break. And this is all the things that they want to do. The last thing they want to do is rest. And what's fascinating about this is that my kids will grow up in a world that tells them to be resistant to rest as adults. And it's the culture that many of us find ourselves in. We're a culture that's resistant to rest, especially us Americans. I don't know if you know this, but Americans get the least amount of rest when it comes to work out of any country in the world. The studies have shown that Americans uh, get the least amount of vacation days out of any country in the world. Now, I'm not saying we're worse off in other countries. I grew up in another country, so I know we're not worse off than other countries. But we are very resistant to work. We, work the short, we get the shortest amount of paid vacation times. And many of us who go on vacations, we're still checking our emails or texting or checking Slack or responding to calls and texts when we're not supposed to work. My wife has a coworker, as she just came back from her paid maternity leave two weeks ago. She had her baby over a year ago. And it's in the United Kingdom and they get a year off when you have a baby paid. I know churches here in America that won't even give new moms two weeks paid time off off. And so we're a culture that's resistant a culture that, is not, uh, that does not allow us to stop in many ways. And so for us to rest, the culture teaches us that we're behind the curve. So for my kids, resisting their nap means they don't get to play with their toys or have snacks and all that. But for us, for us as adults, we're wired to believe that stopping to rest means that now we're less productive, less efficient. Now we're behind the curve when it comes to the people around us. So we keep ourselves busy. You've been there. You're probably there right now. You know what it's like. And so we continue to keep going, keep going. We don't stop for breaks. We inundate ourselves with work and our schedule, late nights and weekends. We inundate ourselves with technology. That Netflix series you're binge watching is not helping you get any more rest. We inundate ourselves because of peer pressure. 
If you're a mom, you feel like you have to fill your schedule with activities because you see the other mom on social media doing it. And if you don't match up to her standards, then you feel less than as a mom. So peer pressure keeps us going and busy. And so what happens for many of us is that we do and we do and we do and we do and we hit the point where we feel burnout. And some of us don't even like acknowledging this word burnout. Here's how the World Health Organization defines burnout. Burnout means that you're exhausted. Anyone exhausted this morning? Burnout means that you have less energy, that your mind is nowhere near your work. You find yourself being more cynical when you have burnout. You're doing work, whether it's work for your family or work for an employer, at about 50% capacity. And so we do and we do and we do and we hit burnout. And then emotionally what happens is that job no longer is fulfilling you. What happens is that your family becomes a second job for you. And all the friendships that you have are on the surface level because you're stretched too thin when it comes to busyness. And if you're here this morning, I've got some good news for you. But before we get to the good news, we've got to identify some patterns in our behavior that have led us up to this point. Here's the first thing that we've got to realize. The busyness that we think is helping us progress with our careers or helping us keep up with the Joneses or the busyness that helps some of you stay on the same page as your peers, all the stuff that we fill our time with isn't actually fulfilling us and isn't actually leading us to be healthier when it comes to our emotional life. Now, when it comes to our spiritual life, what happens is God is kind of floating around somewhere while we're busy and doing all the stuff in life. So we prioritize sports over church and activities over discipleship. And then when things go really wrong, we run to God out of desperation. When the wall hits, when the crisis comes, when the job loss comes, when the business isn't thriving, we now run to God. We think that God's supposed to be a pick-me-up. So many of us here in America, because of the busyness of our culture, we have this reactionary walk with Jesus where we do our thing in life and then we react to the, 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 the walls that we hit in life by running to God. He's not our first priority. He's our last resort. In the 1990s, Coca-Cola, I don't know if you guys remember, they came out with this campaign. Uh, and it was a set of commercials that they would release. And the campaign was called Pausing, a pause that refreshes that was a campaign. And they would have these commercials that would show people busy at work. They're in the office. The phones are going crazy. Papers flying everywhere. People are running through. They're filling out paperwork. And then in the middle of the day, everyone would stop and pop open a cold bottle of Coca-Cola and take a drink. It was the pause that refreshes. Jürgen Moltmann, he's one of the most influential theologians of the past century, he says that the church has adopted this Coca-Cola philosophy when it comes to our walk with God. We keep ourselves busy with activities and dinners and Netflix and work, and God is the refreshing pause that we need when things get crazy, and God is the pause that we need so we can get back to doing our work. He's a means to an end. So God becomes an aid to help us accomplish all that we have in life. You might be saying, what's wrong with that? And imagine I only spoke to my wife when I needed something from her. Imagine you did that. You'd be sleeping on the couch or your marriage would fall apart. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to run to God when we need him, but if that's the only time you run to God, if that's what your walk with Jesus looks like, you might be settling for a cheap alternative to what God really has for us when it comes to walking with him. So we go to church expecting that one spoon-fed meal will sustain us for the remainder of the week. 
We listen to that podcast and we gain some knowledge and then we ride the high of that knowledge thinking that we're good. Or we pick up the latest book from the trendiest author and then feel like we're thriving and we're just missing out on what it means to be with Jesus and embrace what Jesus truly has for us. I struggle with this in my own spirituality growing up, and maybe you're here and you struggle with it as well. The problem is that at times we make our walk with Jesus too formulaic, too divided, too compartmentalized. But to step in to what God has for us, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, all of us have to embrace what we're calling rhythms of rest with God. Rhythms of rest with God. And I want, we're going to look at the idea of rest and where it comes from. It starts in creation and God implements this rhythm of rest, but it goes out as a command to God's people in the book of Exodus chapter 20. But before we go there, let me explain what's happening in the book of Exodus. You might know this, but the Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians. They're in Egypt, the people of God, not on vacation, but they're enslaved. They're doing hard labor in the middle, in the middle East in the heat of the day. In the book of Exodus, it says that the Egyptian masters worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with cruel service. As a result, Israel languished in misery and suffering and a broken spirit. They had no freedom to rest. They didn't even have an option to rest. It was no choice that they had. It was forced labor and ultimately it broke them. And so we know that God leads his people out of Egypt and on the way to the promised land and then he gives them guidelines. Rules, if you will, and we know them as the Ten Commandments. He says, this is what it means to be my people. And the Ten Commandments, a majority of them are a list of prohibitions, things that you're not allowed to do. You shall not. You shall have no other gods before me. You cannot make an image of yourself you, uh, in the form of anything in heaven or above or on earth or beneath in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. You shall not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not covet, not give false testimony. And then two of the Ten Commandments are not prohibitions but commandments. The first one is honor your father and your mother. And the second one is the longest commandment and it's talking about rest that you and I are supposed to get. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat and it means to cease or to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period each week. And it refers to this time where we're not just blocking off our schedules, but we're orienting our lives around our God. A day that is holy. It says God made the Sabbath and he made it holy. Holiness means to be set apart. And so this day is supposed to be a day that is set apart, a cut above every other day in our week. And so God's commandment, notice this, to his people who were just enslaved and forced to work, had no option to rest when they came out of it, was that you are supposed to take a break, a pause, a rest. Sabbath is a commandment that God gives to his people, but it's also an essential part of Scripture. It says that God created the heavens and the earth and then he rested. So we find Sabbath and rest is what marks the beginning of Scripture. 
Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This verse always confused me as a workaholic, because I would say, just say that you worked, created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then you were done, let's move on. But the seventh day God rested. Imagine what the seventh day looked like on earth. No wars, no tears, no work, no toiling, no schedules, no natural disasters. The earth was at complete peace and stillness and beautiful. It's the world that Adam and Eve enters into. The first humans entered into a world that was still and calm. It was holy. It was different from the days prior of creation coming together. It was a day to celebrate the work that had been done. And that's what we find in the beginning of Scripture, the beginning of God's story, is that Sabbath is instituted. But not only do we find Sabbath intertwined in the beginning of the story, we also find it at the end of the story because in the book of Revelations, we talked a little bit about it earlier with Isaiah prophesying of it, but there's coming a day when God will reconcile his people back to himself and he'll redeem our bodies and this earth and the cosmos all back to himself, make everything okay. And the book of Revelation says there's coming a day where there are no wars, no tears, no busyness, where we are in complete union with God, with the one that knows us, with comfort and peace. So the Sabbath that you and I practice right now reminds us of what God had for us and what God has for us. It's essential to God's story. It's not just something that we're supposed to do. It's essential to the story of God. And so God tells the Israelites, remember the Sabbath. Stop. Pause. Now, if your mom here this you're here this morning, you're saying, 24 hours to do nothing. You must be crazy. There is no stopping when it comes to kids. If you own a business, you're saying, I can't take any days off from my business, bro. You don't understand, or, or my business will begin to fall backwards. All of us probably have reasons why we can't take a day off. But here's what I want to propose to you this morning. For us to get to a point in our lives where we're thriving emotionally and spiritually, we've got to learn to stop. But stopping is countercultural. Stopping is not efficient in America. Stopping is not productive. Stopping may not even feel responsible at times. Stopping may feel like you're being lazy at times. And here's something very important for us to understand when it comes to the Sabbath. We no longer live under the law, but live under grace in the new covenant. And so you and I don't have to follow the Sabbath in a legalistic manner. But the principle of the Sabbath is something that we should follow because it's meant for our own Good. The beauty of the Sabbath is that it's not work. It's not striving. It's not climbing to God. It's calling us to the opposite of work, to stop and to rest in God. And Jesus in the New Testament, he gives us some freedom when it comes to this 24-hour period that many followed for many years. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus runs, has his run-in with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite, and they followed these Ten Commandments, and they had this extreme interpretation of it. And so they saw Jesus' disciples one day walking through a grain field, and they picked some grain because they were hungry. And his Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, why are your disciples working by picking up, picking up the grain on the Sabbath? So Jesus looks at them, and he explains something, and he says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. And he's saying, so if my disciples are hungry and they pluck grain and they work 
because they're going to fill their hunger. They aren't breaking the Sabbath because the Sabbath was not made for man. Uh, man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for men. Because the Sabbath is not about rule following. It's not about a ritual that you follow or a commandment that you follow, but it's actually meant for your own good. It's something that you embrace for your own flourishing. Jesus is saying, the Sabbath was made for you. The stopping, the resting, the pausing, the breathing, it's for you. And I know others of you are thinking, Alan, you're talking about people in ancient times. They had all the time in the world. They didn't have iPhones and kids' soccer practices and gymnastics, and they don't have corporate America. And you're right. The culture that we live in calls us to be busier than ever, more preoccupied than ever, because we have more distractions than ever. But it's why it's important that we embrace rhythms of rest more than ever. Because some of us are suffocating under the busyness that we involve ourselves in. It's good for us to stop, to rest, to pause. And here's what I'll also say, and here's a freedom that comes to us through the New Testament and through Jesus resting and stopping is more than just stopping for 24 hours a week. Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 2 writes, Do not let anyone judge you when it comes to what you eat or drink or with regard to religious beliefs or uh, religious festivals or even the Sabbath. Because the idea of resting and setting apart time to God is not something that you follow out of legalism or out of law but knowing that it works for you because it's meant for your good. And so what works for me when it comes to my rhythms of rest may not be what works for you. And so I want to give you what my rhythms of rest look like during the week, just to give you an idea of the freedom that you can have in abiding with Jesus. And then I'll give you three essential keys to resting that all of us can follow. I remember uh, watching a video on YouTube that popped up in my suggestions, and it was a pastor showing how his morning routine with God was going. And I was curious as I watched it. And this man wakes up and he puts on some worship music. His house is calm, the lights are dimly lit. And he goes over and he makes some coffee. The coffee is dripping slowly as the worship music hits. And then once he gets his coffee, he pours it into his favorite cup. And then he walks over to the window where he has a table. And he opens his Bible and he sits there with calm music playing around him, just reading God's word. And I'm watching this going, where are the kids? And so I'm not putting that down. I hope to get there at some point. But here's what my morning looks like when I get up at 5.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. I got kids that are starving and their diapers have some stuff in it we need to clean and they're cranky and they want our attention. So I walk into craziness and chaos when I wake up in the morning. And so what works for him does not work for me. And I've had to embrace rhythms of rest within the schedule and the season of life that I'm in. So integrating rhythms of rest in the midst of soccer games and teachers' meetings and tuition decisions and Dell Web HOA meetings and gym workshops that y'all go to and parenting issues and neighboring relationships and faucet leaks and health issues and job promotions is really difficult. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. We have to figure out, and you have to figure out what works best for you based on your own current schedules. And I grew up being taught that you just have to spend 20 to 30 minutes with God every morning and you'll be good to go. But what I oftentimes found was, one, my schedule now does not allow for it. But two, even when I did that, by the time lunchtime came around, I was still cranky. By the time I got home, I was frustrated with my kids, easily offended, easily frustrated. And so I realized, wait a minute, this formulaic approach to being with Jesus is not what I need right now. And it's not what actually brings me emotional and spiritual health. And so here's what my rhythms look like right now. Every morning, I go for a walk with my dog. 
and it's about 5.30, 5.45 a.m., and there's no one else awake. The lights are dark. It's quiet. You hear the crickets chirping and the sprinklers going off, and I walk my dog, and I just thank God for the night before that I woke up and I was able to wake up and have life again. And what I've done this year is started to incorporate scripture into it. And I would just read the same passage, not to rush through it, but the same passage for about a week. And just let it absorb in my body and my mind. And I would do that. And I would think about my day that is to come. And as much as my dog annoys me sometimes, thank God for my dog because I'm going to miss her when she's gone. And these were rhythms where I would connect with God and invite God into my schedule. So I go back home and it's crazy and I, I get distracted. And then the next rhythm comes for me when I drive my daughter to daycare before I go into work. And at this, in this rhythm, this moment of resting, I'm not memorizing scripture or even listening to a worship song. I'm usually listening to Elmo or something like that. But I look through the rearview mirror and I look at my daughter and oftentimes we have a conversation about the cars on the road or the school bus that she sees and uh, the day that she's going to have at work. And there's so much joy that fills me. And I just look at her and I thank God for who she is and the blessing that she is to my life. And that's another rhythm where I'm just reminded of God's goodness in my daily activity. And then I get to work and we have meetings or I start prepping sermons or whatever it may be. And even if it's studying scripture, it's work that I'm doing to prepare for something. So the next rhythm of rest that I have is usually around noontime. I usually just try to take just a moment just to breathe and say, God, thank you. And a lot of times I look at my office and say, God, I thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people that come to this church. Thank you for the work that's in front of me. Help me not to get distracted and do what you call me to. And it's a quick moment of just inviting God into the craziness in the middle of the day. And then I go back to my work, meetings and preparation, whatever it may be. And then my next moment, and this is an essential moment, is when I'm driving home. Now you might think that you drive home and you open up the door and your wife's got a meal cooked for you. And she says, pick up your feet and put it on the couch and let me give you a nice massage. But for me, when I open the doors to my house, it's like I'm walking into a zoo with chimpanzees running around. And my wife is like, tag, you're it. And so I know the frustrations, the anger at times, the annoyance that is to come inevitably. So on my drives home from work, and sometimes when I forget, I, every time I pull into my driveway, I just take a moment to say, God, help me. No, I seriously, help me to love my kids. Help me to be less frustrated. Help me to be more loving. Help me to support my wife. It's a, another moment of inviting God into that moment. And so that's what my daily rhythms look like. And then my wife and I, we've also embraced this year a weekly rhythm. So on Saturdays, we do no work. Uh, we wake up, we make pancakes for the kids, and this time, uh, as opposed to the rest of the week, we put syrup in it, and uh, we make French toast. We just have fun. It's a day of celebrating and enjoying all the blessings that God has for us. We might take them out to eat if they want. We hang out, go to the park. We might hang out some, with some friends. Last night, we were hanging out with some friends, and we came home late, and then my wife said, our house is like, it looks like a tornado has just gone through it, and we have church tomorrow. We need to clean. I said, no, let's just let it go. We're going to feel less productive than other parents maybe or other families and not as clean and not as responsible. But, but today we're just going to enjoy and get some rest and we'll get back to it. So we've developed these daily rhythms and weekly rhythms of inviting God into our current schedules. So it's not formulaic and it's not compartmentalized and it's not divided. But it's really living a life where God is a part of every single moment. 
Now, what works for me, again, may not be what works for you. But all of us, I'm going to give us three keys to embracing rhythms of rest that I think applies to all of us. And for you, the job is to take these three keys and apply it to your own schedules. The first key to embracing rhythms of rest with God is finding stillness. Finding stillness. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, be still before God and wait patiently before him. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And here's the key to being still. For us to be still, we've got to stop doing whatever it is that we're doing in that moment. There's a one part that varies from person to person, schedule to schedule. The key to stillness is that stillness cannot be rushed or hurried. And so you're looking for ways in your day or in your week that gives you enough space to slow down. And be with God and allow God to meet you in a deep way. So stillness requires you set apart some time. Maybe you have a conversation with a spouse or your employer or you set an alarm on your phone, whatever it may be. But it's an intentional work that's required. Intentionality with daily rhythms of being still and stopping before God. And if you find yourselves in the chaos, in the busyness, just take a deep breath. And remind yourself that this moment of stillness that you're about to have is more essential to you as a human being and as a follower of Jesus than the work that there is for you to accomplish. It's important and it's essential for you to just be with him. To say, thank you, Jesus. Just be still. That's the first key to embracing stillness. Dallas Willard, he says that hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. So us choosing to be still is us fighting that enemy. The second key to embracing rhythms of rest is silence. And this happens after the stillness. You can't be silent before you're still. So you have stillness, you've embraced it, you've figured out what works for you, and then you enter into silence where we simply allow God to meet us where we are. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus would oftentimes retreat to go to be alone with the Father in the wilderness. And I imagine the wilderness a place of great silence. Well, there's not the noise. There's not the ministry task and the crowds of people that want to be healed and need to hear him preach. He realizes that he needs to be alone with the Father. Sitting in silence is difficult. Sitting in silence is one of the most countercultural things that you and I can do. Because just because our bodies slow down when it comes to stillness doesn't mean that our minds will when it comes to silence. Our minds begin to wonder and wander. Our thoughts begin to go back to work and to the task, and to the responsibilities. But what we find is God often speaks to us when we settle ourselves and remove the noise. Look at the life of Elijah. God does not show up to Elijah in a whirlwind or a tornado or an earthquake. But the Bible says, after the fire came God in a gentle whisper. In other translations it says, a still small voice. And what I discovered is that that line there that's used in our English translation is really difficult to translate, translate in the original Hebrew language. But what it literally means is that God came in the sound of sheer silence. The sound of sheer silence. It's not translated that way because it would be difficult for us to understand. The sound of sheer silence is what God came through. And Elijah hears God and the next steps for him. And oftentimes we hear God in the silence. But we don't sit in silence so that we can hear from God. We sit in silence just as we are to abide with him, even just for a moment in the rhythms of our life. That's the second key. More so you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up. Here's a third key 
to embracing rhythms of rest is scripture. Scripture. If you do the first two and you don't incorporate scripture into your rhythms of rest, you're not anchoring yourself in God's truth and in God's word and in what he wants to speak to you in those moments. And for some of you, it may look like memorizing scripture, and that's what I did in my walks with my dog, just reading the same passage over and over for a week and letting it absorb. And it's why David says, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it's important for us to have God's word inside of us. But scripture as a way of resting might look different for others of you. We can allow scripture to meet us in the busyness, in the chaos, by using the Psalms, for example. In the Psalms, we found examples of Psalms of trusting God in moments where we fear. There are Psalms of praising God when we're overflowed with his goodness that day. Or there are Psalms of anger when we cannot understand injustice. Psalms of lament or grief. Psalms that remind us to stay focused. The Psalms have been given to us as a daily way of breathing and living scripture with all the emotions that come with life. So sometimes when I'm walking in the mornings, I remind myself, the hills that I see belong to God, as the psalmist writes. Maybe you're in a season of spiritual dryness, and so when you're embracing these moments and these rhythms of rest, you're seeing the psalm that says, how long, God, will you hide your face from me? Maybe you're at your kid's soccer practice or your grandparent watching your kids. You just look at your kid in the busyness and the chaos of that moment. And reminding yourself of the psalm that says, before you were born, God formed them in their mother's womb. And so God knows them better than I do. And so I trust God with them. This is what it means to incorporate scripture into our daily rhythms of living. Think about it this way. You and I, we don't forget meals, right? In fact, some of you already have your next meal planned out after church. We don't forget meals because we know one, that it nourishes our bodies and we need it. But number two, we feel it. Some of you are feeling it right now. You're telling me to hurry up so I can go eat. It's the same when we embrace rhythms of rest. When we begin to stop those rhythms of rest, we feel it. We feel like we're spiritually starving or famished or thirsty or hungry. We can only develop that type of understanding spiritually if we step into embracing rhythms of rest. For many of you, the burnout that you're feeling or the spiritual unhealth that you're feeling may be due to a lack of rhythms of rest where you're abiding with Jesus in the daily routine mundane tasks and schedules that you already have. And I love Jesus after he tells the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. He says this, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is here saying, the Sabbath is not just taking a day off or taking time to do breathing exercises. It's a moment that's not outside of Jesus. He is the Lord of Sabbath. It's a moment where we remind ourselves of the one who created us and knows us better than anyone else and invite him to be a part of our lives, to gaze upon his beauty. Jesus is inviting you to rest in him. I love what Jesus says to those who are feeling weary and tired and the message translation that Eugene Peterson beautifully translates. Matthew chapter 28 verse 30 says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real 
rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is God's best for you. This is what it means to walk with him. It's not a drained out, flat, deflated life, but one full of rest, full of freedom, one that is light, one that is defined by unforced rhythms of grace and rest. For many of us, we have a hard time getting there because our rest and our time with God is forced or we mimic someone else's routine of rest. But the invitation is for you to embrace stillness, silence, and scripture, not out of a need, but out of a want knowing that it will enrich you, knowing that out of it, everything else overflows in your life. We're gonna go into a time of taking communion together. And communion reminds us of the great rest that we have in Jesus. So I wanna invite you to take the elements that are on your seats or in front of you. If you're watching online, you can grab some bread and some juice. I love that we do this week in and week out because this is one of those moments regardless of what's happening in your week, regardless of what you walked in here this week with, or what you're watching online or listening online with this week, this is a moment where we can come to the foot of the cross and remind ourselves that there is a great rest that we have been granted because Jesus died for you, was buried for you, and rose again on the third day for you. And he promises a comforter, a counselor. He promises as rhythms of grace, a light way of living. He also promises a future rest. That despite your hips hurting this morning and your back in pain and the schedules that you have, there is a day of full rest and comfort that's coming up ahead. So would you take that bread, that cracker, would you break it and take it together, reminding yourself of the broken body of Christ for your behalf. And the cup that represents the new covenant, a covenant not defined by working and climbing and striving, but defined by resting in everything that Jesus has already done for you, would you take that cup and drink together? I love that example as the Israelites are led out of Egypt. God essentially is saying, you were once slaves and now you are free. This is the mark of free people, that they embrace rhythms of rest. And for you and I this morning, the freedom that we have in Christ, it applies to us this morning. This is the mark of free people that we're not bound to the expectations of culture or the schedules and the busyness and the activities that we're able to do, but defined by people that take moments to pause and breathe in the goodness of God. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as I pray for you. And I want to invite the prayer partners forward. If you're here this morning and you're feeling the weight of life and you're exhausted and you fit the criteria for burnout or whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to come up for prayer after I pray for you. And then we're going to sing this song together. God, I pray for every single person here this morning. We thank you that when we come to you, you promise us rest. Not burnout. Not religion. Not a deflated faith, not an emotionally unhealthy life, but a life full of joy, full of peace, full of comfort, despite the busyness and the daily activities that we have. Pray for those that may be even retired and feel like they need to fill their schedules to be productive. Pray, Lord, that you would help them to find rhythms of rest. Pray for those that are just climbing the ladder, thinking that's what they have to do 
would they remind themselves the mark of the free people in Christ is that we pause and we rest. Pray for those that feel the pressure to do and to do and to do and to be active, to be busy. Pray you release that, Lord. Pray that you help them to accept the freedom that comes from you through rhythms of grace. So this week, Lord, would you help your people to find ways to be still before you, to be silent before you, to incorporate scripture to breathe life into their daily routines. And in doing so, may we remind ourselves that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, the one that we've given our lives to, the one that gives us freedom and life. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Let's sing this song together. If you need prayer, you can come on up and we'll end our time together.
faithfulness in our lives. And church, we're thankful that you joined us here to worship this morning. I want to remind you that our, our prayer partners are going to stay up here after the service. If you're in need of prayer, please come forward. We want to pray with you. Also, our Discover Outer West class is going to happen right after the service across the hall. And now as you plan to depart this church, as you go out of these doors, may you go out there with the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week. God bless you all.